You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Family Matters. In this series, we speak into the most contentious societal issues of our day, not with the world's wisdom, but with God's. The blood of Jesus has ransomed people from every tribe, nation, and language across the earth. And this diverse, reconciled church will reign alongside Christ into eternity. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It is good to see you all. It's good to be with you guys. My name is Jonah, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Thanks for being with us. Um, It's just, it's sweet seeing people coming back and being in the same room as one another. So uh, it's it's good to see you all. I don't have a silky smooth transition. They called me transition in high school because I had such good transitions. I don't have one today. That's not true either. What the, they didn't call me. Nobody called me that in high school. But uh, I live a strange life, and I'm a strange person, and I'm raising strange children. So I have a strange transition for you. Uh, recently, we're going on them quarantine walks. Y'all going on quarantine walks? You get out there, and you got to take a woods bath or whatever. And uh, my daughter, while we were riding to our quarantine walk, my daughter's five, by the way, she looked at me, and she said, Dad... Tell me everything that's illegal. (laughs) And I didn't know if it was like, so I can just know, you know, so I know what lines to cross, or um, I don't know why. I don't have a story of where that came from. Uh, Her and her older brother, who's six, play this game too randomly, usually around dinner time, where they'll ask me things like, bizarre things, like, Dad, uh, let me think of one that was recent. Uh, Dad, would, would you eat a bird's head to get me out of jail? And I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm like, of course, but why? Is, is jail a life plan here now, or we have to scheme for this? Uh, so, in trying to answer her question about what was legal and illegal, we started, like a good pastor, in the Ten Commandments. It's a pretty good uh, introduction into the legalities of life. And so we said things like, you know, it's illegal to murder somebody. It's illegal to steal from somebody else. It's illegal in some instances, to lie. The more it went on, and frankly, the older I get, uh, the more I see that, is it legal? It's not always the best question to ask when we're choosing how to behave, what to do in the world. Uh, If you were with us in person or listened to last week's sermon, we looked at the reality that many of the worst things that have ever happened in our country were legal at the time. No laws were being broken. Uh, And even today, there are all kinds of broken things that are not illegal. For instance, it's not illegal to be mean to somebody. Um, It's not illegal to lie in every situation. Have you ever heard someone talk about it? It was just a white lie. Uh, Even, I mean, there there are systemic actions that are legal now that have incredibly painful and destructive consequences. Abortion is still legal. The trauma that that leaves behind often lasts a lifetime, not to mention what it does to the child. Uh, Things like payday lending are legal. And if you're like, really, payday lending is a big deal? Just try to imagine what a 400% interest loan might do to your life. Uh, Look at where payday lending places are put and the destruction that that can cause for generations. Adjustable rate mortgages are legal. And if you're like, really? Adjustable rate mortgages are a big deal? Well, it collapsed the economy in 2008. 
how many billions of dollars in jobs were lost. A 70-month car loan is legal. Some of y'all need to hear that. Uh, I would not recommend going into debt for a car for six, seven years. Really wouldn't recommend going into debt for a car, but let, go listen to Dave Ramsey. He'll sort you out. The point, my point in using some of these examples that most of us are familiar with is that just because something is legal doesn't mean it's right. Or to put it more in the language of our church, just because something is legal doesn't mean it's good, it's true, or it's beautiful. Just because something is legal doesn't mean it leads into God's design for life. Let me give you one more example. You probably have some examples already cooking in your mind. Uh, Michael Miller is a good friend of mine. He leads our Connect team here. He's on staff with us here. And you all, you all remember before the pandemic when you used to eat inside of a restaurant? You guys remember that? With other humans? Uh, we just do, maybe you all are going to restaurants. I'm going to pray for you. But, you know, whatever your conscience permits, we do takeout uh, when we eat out. But there was a time with humans, I would eat inside of a restaurant. And Michael Miller and I would go to restaurants to sort through the difficulties and complexities of life. And so where do you go when you need to sort through the difficulties and complexities of life? You go to the Waffle House. The Waffle House is, all, is never closed, as David Wilcox sang one time. Has anybody ever heard of David Wilcox? No? No? Okay, all right. All right, one other person in the weird esoteric realms of Christian folk singers. Uh, the Waffle House is never closed, so you go there to work it out. So this is third, fourth, fifth time that Michael and I had been to the Waffle House. And every time this happened, I didn't pick up on it until whatever it was, the third or fourth time. When the meal was wrapping up, the waitress would come and hand me the check. And it was a different waitress every time. And it's not a big deal when something happened once, but when something happens like the fourth time, you notice it. And I kind of chuckled and I, look at, I looked at Michael and I said, why do they keep bringing me the check when you're the one with the fancy shoes? Like... Michael is put together. He wears nice clothes and he looks good. And I, like, I'm a barely functional human leaving the house. Michael does things like wash his car. I don't really wash my cars. And so I'm just saying, like, there wasn't, it wasn't like I was there in a three-piece suit with a Rolex watch on. And so I made this little joke to Michael as I'm looking at the bill. He didn't laugh. He didn't think it was funny. He says, man, this is how it is when I eat with someone who looks like you. You know why they brought you the check. And if you don't know Michael, Michael's got darker skin than I do. And there was something, I don't think there was a strategy with the waitresses where they said, hey, if there's ever a white guy eating with a black guy, make sure the white guy gets the bill. I don't think that was a plan or they had a policy, but something was in the waters there that every time they saw this white guy eating with this black guy, they just naturally brought the white guy the bill. Was that illegal? No. Can you imagine the phone call if I called 911? I was like, you got to get here right away. I'm having lunch with a black guy, and the waitress gave me the bill. You have to do something. It's not illegal, but was it right? One of the questions that I think the sermon last week forces us to wrestle with is how do we make this right? How do we make a history of injustice and oppression 400 years, centuries and centuries? How do we, how do we make this right? And as you press into that question, how do we make something right? It will often force you to go beyond the simple, is it legal or illegal question. You, you go beyond the legalities of a situation and into the justice of a situation. Just is different than legal. And justice is one of the core themes of the entire Bible. 
This week and more so next week is going to try to show you that justice is at the very heart of, the, of God himself. It's at the very heart of God's mission, and it is one of the key themes of the entire Bible. I'll just give you one example as a primer right now. Uh, and I want you to notice how intimately related justice is to the heart and character of God himself here. So in Proverbs 28, it says, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it fully. Notice it doesn't say like foolish men or ignorant men or young men or something. It says evil people do not understand justice, but if you seek the Lord, you will understand justice. The nearer you get to the heart of God, the nearer you're shaped into the image of Christ, the more you'll become a person that cares about biblical justice. So what is justice? It's important to define our terms a little bit here. Uh, it's a, again, it's a rich concept throughout the scriptures. It's related to salvation and redemption. It's often talked about in terms of freedom for the oppressed, deliverance of captives. Uh, maybe uh, an image that you could get in your mind to help you think about it is, is the Exodus. Have you ever realized that Moses was, he was breaking the law by demanding Pharaoh to let Israel go? He was standing in the room of the highest powered person in the world demanding he does a criminal activity. Let these people go. And from Egypt's perspective, would they describe the plagues from God as illegal or legal? <laughs> like This is an invasion from a divine enemy breaking our laws. It was not legal what happened in the Exodus, but it was profoundly just. Justice is setting the world right. It is ordering society, lives, both individual and corporate, the way God intended lives to be situated. So a simple definition, and again, we'll unpack this at greater length next week, but here's a simple definition for you. Biblical justice is ensuring that every human is able to live into God's design for their life. So every human, biblical justice is working so that humans can be their full humanness. They can be all that God made them to be. So it involves a person's individual personal life, but also their life as part of a community. And it affects society as a whole, the way we shape our society, certainly legally, but also socially and culturally. Another way to think about it is biblical justice is working so that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's perfect will is executed on earth as it is in heaven, which you will find that in the Lord's prayer. It's when Jesus says, how should you pray? He says, pray for justice, right? Pray that God's will would be done on earth. And it's important that we get that clear, that we are a people who love God, and because we love God, we love justice. And we have to have a rich understanding of what the scriptures are talking about when it talks about justice, because have you heard the J word lately? Have you heard it in the news or on Twitter? The J word is justice. Have you heard it at protests? Have you heard it in riots? Have you heard it on news and on Twitter and on all over the place? So everybody's talking about justice and we have to be careful as the church when we have biblical words that are being used outside of the church or biblical words can be used in unbiblical ways. So we have to turn to God and his word to understand what do we mean when we say words like justice. So I've, I've given you your tight definition of justice and I want, to, I want to give you now three statements that a just Christian is happy to make. And I know 
I think, I think everybody here is white. The white people last week, which if you weren't here last week, you should go listen and you'll understand why most of us were uncomfortable. Last week, I got lots of like, well, what are we supposed to do? Tell me what to do. Well, we're going to have to sit and be uncomfortable. That's what ours is to do right now, to be uncomfortable for a little while longer. We're going to do three statements a just Christian is happy to make this week. And next week, we're going to start turning the corner as we're wrapping up this series into three actions a just Christian is happy to take. So we're going to start giving you some steps next week. But the For now, three statements a just Christian is happy to make. The first one is that it is good we are equal. So a just Christian looks across the body, across society, and says it is good that we are equal. It's kind of our case study to unpack and put some texture into this definition of justice. We're looking at the church in Corinth, which Meg just read for us from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You got to see, you got to know, these are gospel-believing people. Okay, they have the gospel. The gospel has been preached to them and they believe it. There's evidence of the Spirit's work. There's fruit of the Spirit there. There's ministry going on there. And at the same time, cultural norms had yet to be transformed by Christ. And what what do I mean by that? The way the society did things hadn't been transformed by Christ or his teaching. They'd been transferred into the life of the church. So we did this certain way out here. And now that we're Christians and in the church together, We're going to keep doing it the same way, but maybe just put some new language on top of it. The big example that you see throughout that Paul is addressing in Corinthians is their kind of understanding of status and and privilege. So in status, image, all that was a big deal in Corinth. It, It was maybe the biggest deal for them. And so here, there was a belief in the church that if you had money, for instance, if you were a wealthy person, then you should be one of the leaders of the church. Wealth equaled spiritual maturity or or spiritual significance. So who gets the good seats? Who's on the board? Who does, you know, whatever. It it was the wealthy people. Or if you had certain gifts, you were more important. So if you can do this, you were a big deal and we really need you in the church. But like if all you can do is children's ministry, you're kind of disposable. It's not that big of a deal. So they had created these striations or, you know, a hierarchy of which gifts are more important. And Paul is saying this is not the way of Christ. And, And what we have to see is these are matters of justice. An imbalanced society, imbalanced culture, people being kept from being who God made them to be based on gifts they had no vote in or no no say in. So the just Christian says it's good you and I are equal, regardless of our status, regardless of our gifts. Look, verse 12 and 13, he gives this powerful, uh, important theology lesson. Human body, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So this air conditioning is totally distracting me right now. If any of you do have the gift of wealth and want to put like 20 or 30 grand into moving that air conditioning onto the, the roof over there, just, you know, prayerfully consider how the Lord would have you serve our church in that way. So, you know, like in key points of the sermon, it doesn't sound like the aircraft carrier is winding up out there. (laughs) So what Paul is saying here is you're part of a body. When you confess Jesus is Lord, you are adopted, you are grafted in to one singular body. It does not matter your status in the world. If you're rich, poor, black, white, male, female, you receive one spirit and you become part of the one body of Christ. And, And this was such a radical idea in the church at Corinth. 
And you, you can feel people reacting. You know, beliefs, if Paul wouldn't have to say it so long and so repeated and with such strength, if, if folks weren't saying things like, you mean I'm equal with poor people? Do you have those people in your life? Those people, I mean, the ones that like you're kind of nervous about being too close to, or that if they, they come up to you at the car, you just crack the window a little bit. You know, there's always those people that you would just rather not be too close with. You, so the, the Corinthians are wrestling, saying things like, I'm one with poor people, or I'm one with Jewish people, or like the craziest one, I'm one with a Jewish woman? You're telling me I am equal with somebody like that? In a fallen world, which we live in, this side of Eden, while we're waiting for the kingdom to come in full, what typically happens is that differences in people are distorted into divisions. So if I can say you are different, it's not too long before I can say you are something less than human and I will keep you at arm's length. If you are different, I can keep you away. We were designed to live as the Trinity lives. God, we are made in his image, which means there are some profound ways that we are like God. God exists in Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There are three persons, one God. They have different functions. They do different things. They have different roles and responsibilities, yet they have a unified mission. Three words that I, I ask you to burn into your brain when you think about the Trinity. Diversity, harmony, and unity. They are different but they work together and they're inescapably one. So to be a human is to operate like the Trinity does. Diversity that works together and is unified. When that diversity, harmony, and unity across God's people is broken down, that's a justice problem. It's not just kind of like an abstract theology problem or just a friendship problem. That's a, that's a justice problem. So when, when the just Christian hears some version of, I am better than you because of this, I am better than you because of that, to that lie, we say, no, 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 it's good that we are equal. It's good that we are equal. And as Paul does here with the church in Corinth, and as the church has done historically, where that equality of God is distorted and it's used to create division, the just cor Christian corrects it. We don't merely teach against it, but we Correct it. We are one. Same body, same baptism, same spirit living inside of us. The just Christian says, it is good that we are one. And now in churches like ours, which are predominantly white, in the predominantly white evangelical Protestant tradition in the United States, that's typically where we end the justice conversation. So if I don't see any laws on the books, because we tend to think of justice as fundamentally a legal issue, when it's much more a relational issue, if there aren't any laws on the books that are oppressing people, and if I personally don't oppress people or have these beliefs, if my doctrine is in order, then the justice conversation is done. But that statement alone, it's good that we are equal, is not enough in the cause of justice. And in, in fact, particularly over the last 120 years or so, that statement, it is good we are equal, has actually been used by Christians and politicians to promote injustice. It's been used to promote division and further oppression. Well, how so? I'll give you one example. Don't raise your hands now if you've ever said this. I've said this. So I'm, last week was wonderfully uncomfortable. There's going to be a few sprinkles of discomfort through here just so we, for consistency's sake, okay, we got to just keep being uncomfortable a little bit. But 
How often have you said or heard a well-intentioned Christian say something like, I am colorblind? You ever heard, you heard, by awkward silence, affirm you've heard somebody say that. Oh, yeah. Or, or somebody say something like, hey guys, it's not a skin problem, it's a sin problem. Notice how Baptists love having these turn of phrases. This is not a skin problem, it's a sin problem. I don't, I don't think people are trying to intentionally cause harm when they say those things. But if you pay attention, you'll notice that the people who say that are almost always people whose skin color has never been a hurdle for them to overcome in their life. You get what I mean by that? Can I increase the, the discomfort just one notch? Just, just one notch. You heard the phrase white privilege before? You guys have heard people talking about that. White privilege, you white people. And then they make you, don't you feel that in between your shoulder blades? I feel that in my shoulder blades when I, when I say that out loud. Because what white people typically hear when we hear the phrase white privilege is your life is so easy because you're white. Everything is easy for you people because you're white. And if, you, if you've been coming to this church, I shouldn't have to say what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it for the sake of clarity. Nearly every week, we acknowledge life is hard for most people most of the time. A lot of us come here feeling like we've done something wrong because of how hard our week is and trying to demystify it. Listen, you guys, life is hard for most people most of the time. This is kind of like our support group for the hard life society, right? We gather every week to ground ourselves in the reality that all will be well. One day, life is hard for everybody most of the time. So if you are white in this room and you hear the phrase white privilege, you need to know the phrase doesn't mean your life is easy. It doesn't mean that everything will come easy for you or that wherever you go, red carpets are rolled out for you and it's all just going to be whatever, daisies and butterflies for you. That's not what it means. Life will be hard for most people most of the time. What the phrase white privilege means is that, yes, your life will be hard. You will have to struggle and face many obstacles in your life, but the color of your skin will not be one of the obstacles you face. And there are certain ways that life will go easier for you because that is not, that's one less obstacle that you will have to overcome in your life. And so listen, it's not just as a society for 400 years to oppress people because of the color of their skin. And then once most of the laws are off the books to say, listen, guys, it's not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. We made it a skin problem for 400 years. It's not just for Christians to say, I'm colorblind. And like, if, if you're sitting in some discomfort right now, on, on Right Now Media, which is like our church's Netflix account, we've got a whole series of videos called Beyond Colorblind. Totally free to you if you're willing to put 15 or 20 minutes into it. You can sit there and watch, and it'll unpack more of what this means and what it could look like in your life. We have to see that saying it's good we are equal is not enough if we love justice. It leaves too much room for further oppression and discrimination. As, uh, this makes me a little uncomfortable now. I'm about to quote an Instagram post I saw, but it, it just put it so succinctly that I think captures the heart to help some of us see what is being talked about here. This lady, Carly McBean, said on Instagram, if you don't see color, you don't see me. So what do we do with that? A just Christian can say it's good that we are equal, and we have to marry that with the second statement. It's good we are equal, and it's good that we are different. 
It's good we are equal, and it's good we are different. Watch how Paul continues his analogy of the, the body, uh, picking up in verse 18. He says, our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part, listen, just where he wants it. How sh- this is hilarious to me. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Throughout the scriptures, throughout the New Testament, when you see Paul talk about this body analogy, he will acknowledge that we are one body while also honoring the differences. You see this show up in Acts and Romans all the time where they'll mention somebody by name and also mention their ethnicity and race. They'll say, oh, this person helped so much and they're from here. And so you, you see this wonderful marriage of acknowledging our equality while also acknowledging and honoring our differences. When, when someone says our differences make someone more valuable, we say, no, no, it's good that we're equal. And then when somebody says there shouldn't be any differences at all, we say, no, 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 it's good we are different. And remember, this is because our design as humans is rooted in the nature of God himself, which is Trinity, diversity, harmony, and unity. You guys all know this. This is so much of an easier conversation. I'm not saying you guys don't get it right now. Uh, so some of this is me working my own stuff out, I suppose. We get this implicitly when we're not talking about race. Like, how strange. Would you go to a church where the only gift present in that church was the gift of preaching? If literally all the church did was preach, nobody would go to that church. Can you imagine what a service would look like if everybody in the church had the gift of preaching, where we just have a line here and it's like open mic preaching to an empty room every Sunday? That would be, that would just be so weird. How strange would your own body be if you were just a foot? Just a giant foot hopping around. Or you'd probably be laying there because you don't, are, are toes considered part of the foot? You get what I'm saying? If you were just one body part, how strange would that be? If your body had a civil war against itself, arguing who is more important, what would you rather have, an arm or a stomach? Which one is more important? I would rather not choose those, right? You are one body with many parts. Paul is reminding the Corinthians that God is a creative artist. We see this in creation, all the trees, all the fruit, all the animals, all the species, all the different kinds of beaches, all the different colors that show up in ocean waters. God is a creative artist, even when it comes to his image bearers. So when differences are used to justify discrimination or keeping people from God's design for their life, it's a matter of justice. It's not just like a political issue or a a history issue. It's It's a kingdom of God issue. It's a matter of biblical justice. I'll give you, this might ease some of the tension a little bit. An easier example. And you may have to cast your imagination back to the pre-COVID days when we had that whole other side of the building open. If if you've never been here before, that side of the building is where all of our kids' ministry went on, and there'd be between 200 and 250 12 and unders in that room. Does, Does anybody know, would anybody willing to venture a guess, when the building was all open, what signage took up more words than any other sign? What topic were we communicating about more than any other topic in the church? Anybody want to guess? Somebody guessed coffee earlier in the first service. It's not coffee. It's not giving. It's not directions to the auditorium. Uh, The sign, we have more words dedicated to the prohibition of peanuts in our Sojourn Kids wing than any other sign in this church. We dedicate more words to keeping peanuts out of Sojourn Kids 
than anything else in the life of this church building. What? Why? Well, let's go through some of the categories we've talked about so far. Would it be legal for us to allow peanuts in Sojourn Kids? Yeah. Yeah. We could be like Chick-fil-A and put a sign up that says, you know, this experience, peanuts are used to produce this experience here. Do with this what you will. And let the parents decide. Um, is, here's a different way of putting it. Americans love the F word. Not that one. Uh, fair. Fair. That's an F word that we love. Is it fair that we prohibit peanuts from Sojourn Kids? Think about old little Billy Johnson who got a whole mountain of peanut butter cups at his birthday party because he loves peanut butter cups. And he's going to come and he's going to share them with all of his friends and just makes him so happy. It's a worship experience for him to eat peanut butter cups. And he comes and he sees the sign that says, no peanuts anywhere in the kid's wing. And he's like, well, why? And his mom has to say, well, there's, there's three kids here who have severe peanut allergies. He's like, three? There's 200 of us. I can't, me and my friends can't eat our peanut butter. That's not fair. To which I would say to Billy, correct. It's not fair. So it's, it would be legal for us to allow peanuts. It would be, it's not fair for us to prohibit the peanuts. Is it just for us to allow peanuts? What happened? There's kids in our church that are so allergic to peanuts that if they breathe peanut dust, they'll end up in the emergency room. They could die. And what's so funny to me about this so I've been on staff at Sojourn for 10 years, and I have never once in my life, of all the things people have been mad at me about that have happened in this church, never have I ever received an email that said, how dare you with that peanut policy? <laughs> Why? Why? Because in so many places, when we know that we belong to somebody else, and this is easy for us with children, when we see a responsibility for them, we are happy, we are happy to adjust the life of the entire body for the sake of another part of the body. We honor the differences. We don't ask everyone to be the same. And most often, without any fuss or argument, we will adjust our entire body for the sake of small portions of our body. So here's what I'm trying to say. As citizens of heaven, which that was what our whole series through Philippians was about. What does it mean that we are citizens of heaven? As citizens of heaven, God is calling us into a higher, a greater, a more joyous outlook beyond color blindness into color celebration. Many recent studies have shown that as diversity increases on teams, they become more innovative. As Diversity is celebrated within a team. Ethnic diversity, class diversity, gender diversity, age diversity. The outcomes in every measurable category are better and stronger. Well, why would that be? Diversity is God's idea. Humans were made to live like the Trinity lives. Diverse, harmonious, and unified. It's good we are equal and we can celebrate our differences. When we celebrate our differences... When we celebrate the diversity of our body, we are celebrating the goodness of our triune God. We are celebrating the wisdom and power of his creation. To see color is to see the handiwork of God. To embrace and celebrate differences is to embrace and to celebrate our triune God. But even that statement, I'll tell you guys something. The nature of sin is parasitic. 
It latches onto something good, it distorts it and makes it ugly and nasty. I mean, that is the story of sin. And as people, this is kind of, I think, a Western thing. We like to grab onto one thing and make it everything. So you see the dangers in saying it's good good for us to be equal. It's good that we are equal. So you say, well, I see the dangers there, so I'm just going to say it's good that we are different. And that can be the one thing we say. But that statement brings a whole other kind of danger with it if that becomes our only justice statement. Because here's how the thinking might go. Sure, sure, sure. We will be equal and we are different. But you guys like different stuff than we do. The way you do church is kind of weird. and We like the way we do our church. Why don't we just try to be separate but equal? Have you guys heard that phrase before? We can just be separate but equal. You guys learn different, so we'll make our schools separate but equal. You guys like different food. We'll make our restaurants separate, but equal. That is not the way of God. We will not be separate, but equal in God's kingdom. We will be diverse, harmonious, and unified. And the church must never embrace a separate, but equal mindset. It's good we are equal. Yes. It's good we are different. Yes. And the final belief the Christian has to embrace to hold all of this together is when we can say, it's good, we are family. Look at the end of the passage. God's put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. All you Christians together, black and white, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, male and female, a just Christian sees how much we need each other. Even if you've never thought about this before, you have to begin embracing that. When you get your 30s, anybody ever pull a muscle in their 30s you didn't know you had up till then? I learned about this muscle called the QL muscle which is a thing right here, which goes down to your lower back and then to your... I'm telling you guys, you've never felt your QL muscle before until you've pulled it. And if you pull your QL muscle, you are shut down for weeks. The the whole machine is over if you pull your QL muscle. And the Christian begins to reshape their eyes and see there are things I haven't noticed that I'm in desperate need of. There are places of unhealth that I really need this to be taken care of because it affects all of us. We are all in this together not separate. We are together. Separate but equal was a legal strategy. You know that, right? That was a legal move, but it was not just. The black church in America exists because the differences in equality of our black brothers and sisters was not honored. It was not embraced. In fact, it was rejected. Historically, the majority of white Christians did not want black people in our churches because we did not think we needed them. And we thought our ideas were better. And again, you know how messed up this is if you take it outside of the race conversation. What if you had a family member, say you have Sunday dinner. Every Sunday, the family gathers together for dinner and is just hanging out and spending time as the family. And there's one member of your family, your, your sister and her husband and their kids, they never come to family dinner. They don't come to holidays. And like, well, we have separate but equal family dinners. We never see them. We never talk with them. But they're doing something good over there. They like different food, and we like different food. And so we just have separate but equal family functions. How unhealthy would that seem? How crazy would that seem? Even like the guy that lifts all the time but never does leg day, and you see his little tiny tomato stick legs, and you're like, that's something weird there. It doesn't look right. 
When parts of our body are neglected, when parts of our family are neglected, it breeds unhealth, and we all know this, and we need to begin seeing the unhealth there that we have created in this black and white divide on Sundays. This is our legacy in the church, at least in the United States. In the body, we need all the parts of the body to be healthy, and we need the body's diversity, we need the body's harmony, and we need the body's unity. And so, In closing, the last thing I want to say to you, a Christian that loves justice, a just Christian, I'm not asking you to be ashamed of who you are. I'm not asking you to be ashamed of the places that God has placed you in your life. I'm not asking you to be ashamed of the benefits and privileges that you were born into. I I don't think we need to go around repenting of things that we had no say in. But a just Christian leverages his or her gifts leverages her privileges and benefits for the sake of justice, for the cause of justice. A healthy foot rejoices there's an elbow and an eye and a stomach and a spleen and all of these different parts of the body. A just Christian will leverage their resources for the sake of justice, ensuring all of God's image bearers are able to walk in God's design for their life. And we're going to try to make that a little more concrete of what that looks like over the next couple of weeks. But the big idea for us this morning is that because we love God, we must become a people that love justice. It's good we are equal, it's good we are different, and it's good we are family. And it's good for us to remember what makes all of this possible. And so we we return our minds and our thoughts to the night Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread, and he thanked God for it, blessed it, and then he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. When the meal was over, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant, sealed with the shedding of my blood. Not just made possible with the shedding of my blood. He didn't just say the doors are open with the shedding of my blood. He said, your relationship with God is sealed with the shedding of my blood. And so we come to remember why we can face our painful pasts, why we can learn to leverage our privileges for the sake of justice, because the body of Christ was given for us and the blood of Christ was shed for us. We are united with him and we are safe. So I invite you to take your little communion cup. I'm excited for one day when this is all over. The communion cups. I lost mine. No, I didn't. Aha! God is good. And I don't know how you're feeling. I don't know what all this sounds like to you. So wherever you are, whatever you're feeling internally, whatever you're wrestling with, I want you to look at this wafer and remember the body of Christ was given for you. You are loved and pursued by God. Eat this in remembrance of him. Maybe like me, you're feeling overwhelmed, feeling insecure about, will we do it right? Will we not do it right? What should we do? We want to be a different church. All of these kinds of pressures that we can feel temptations towards. Uh, And so we can cast those aside as we look to this juice and remember what keeps us safe with God. Remember what secures our love position with God in his family. And so we drink and remember the blood of Christ was shed for us. In just a moment, I'll pray. And then we will respond to God's loving acceptance of us through singing with our lives, with our loves. We'll sing, we'll stand, and there'll be offering boxes that you can drop your tithes and offerings in on the way out. I'll pray for us, and then we will stand and sing. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook 
or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android, where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.